My name's Tina Waldrum. I'm the host of this podcast. This show is all about giving you, the listener, actionable insights to share your faith. I interview church leaders and congregation members alike to gain some understanding that both you and I can implement to share Jesus. Every week I work hard to locate and interview someone who can share their experience. Can you do me a favour? Would you mind sharing today's episode with one or two people that you know? One or two people that would be encouraged, that would be helped by today's content. Just copy the link and send it on via text or email. I'd love to see more people encouraged to share their faith. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Win Win Evangelism Podcast. My name's Tina Waldrum, and today I'm speaking with Major Bryce Davies from the Salvation Army. He's based in Queensland with over 25 years' experience in community work with the Salvos, and we're going to talk about the fascinating topic of the relevance of the church in evangelism. Welcome to you, Bryce. Thanks, Tina. Good to be here. Looking forward to a chat. Wonderful to have you along and a fellow podcaster, hosting the show that's called Stories of Hope podcast, which I've got to say is fascinating. Tell me a bit about that. How did you even get into podcasting yourself? Well, I used to try and tell some stories. I used to just video myself in the car and I put these little one-minute clips together and they got quite a lot of traction. So I guess it came to pass that I'm a storyteller and with the years of experience that I've got in the salvos and the and the difficulty in measuring a lot of the outcomes that we produce in our rehabs and in our homeless shelters in terms of Sunday church outcomes, it was really important to tell stories. So when COVID hit and uh, my my life changed a bit, I had a little bit more time to explore these things. And uh, yeah, it was suggested to give podcasting a go. And here we are two years later, um, yeah, lots of episodes and, and it's kind of a really big part of my life now. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah, it's a brilliant show and I really commend you on that, knowing how much work goes into these. Mm. Let's talk about the relevance of the church in evangelism. So 25 years you've had working in the community, Australian culture has shifted a lot. Mm. I guess the question is, are we trying to get people even into the church building? Where's the place of relevance from where you sit? Yeah, it's a really tough question and and I don't have all the answers, but I guess my life has been shaped by my own experience of church, which was wonderful. I grew up in a terrific church where I was loved and valued and nurtured and everything about it made me a better person. And I really fell in love with the idea of Jesus and his love for me and his love for all people. All of that just landed beautifully. And so I became a Salvation Army officer, but I guess I also had a bit of a heart for the justice issues. And in the Salvos, there's plenty of scope to express that. So I found myself working in drug and alcohol rehabs and loving it and just loving the way the gospel really landed in the hearts of people who were really deeply troubled and lost and and had terrible self-worth issues where I'm saying, you are loved, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. You're loved and valued by this God of all creation who who loves and adores you and the people of God want to surround you and teach you and guide you and nurture you in that love. I guess my problem came when we rocked up to churches on Sunday and this rough ragtag bunch of people who swore and farted and, you know, were all inappropriate in all the sorts of ways that just are awkward and they had bad histories, criminal histories, or, you know, they obviously had the effects of ice and heroin and those sorts of issues demonstrated in their person. It was very difficult for the church to embrace them. And I think that's a very real and obvious challenge. I mean, I've got, at the time I had young children and it was it was kind of friendship with very strict boundaries and, you know, friendship was sort of there, but it was also quite limited. And so to try and help these guys 
experience something of the fellowship of the church was a real challenge. And I don't think that's got any easier. I think more and more people just don't really feel comfortable or feel connected to what happens in a church on a Sunday morning. And so the challenge is to work out, well, how do we not throw the baby out with the bathwater and help people who aren't experiencing that as helpful to get the gist of what the Christian gospel is all about in a way that uh, is fruitful and sustainable for them in their life. So that's been my experience over 20 years of trying to help these guys really find a stable faith and not finding them experiencing that. Even, even in the best of our churches, we, we found it very difficult for them to engage in long... I mean, some do, but the vast majority don't. And so I was faced with the challenge of, well, what else do we do? Yeah, and it's a great question. And I know that we're talking around, you know, people that are you know, marginalised in our community, but the gap for just your regular, whatever regular is, Bryce, these days, between regular (laughs) and what takes place on a, say, in the weekend is just massive. So I guess the starting point is being the church in community then, is it? Well, I think I wrestle a lot with what's the purpose of the church. Um, I, I did a whiteboard exercise with a whole bunch of people and said, what's the purpose of the church? And they came up with things like fellowship and friendship and encouragement and support was the number one reason why people go to church. What else is there? They, they want to experience the truth. They want to hear wisdom. They want to experience worship, and often that's in the singing. They want to have times of prayer. All of those things were, in lots of ways, the purpose of the church. Uh, I guess a really helpful example that I've heard recently is that the church could be explained like a chessboard or, or Christianity could be explained like a chessboard and the king is like wholeness and and this sense of being complete in Christ. And we think the queen is the church, the, the institutional church on a Sunday. It's the, it's the best piece. It's the most nimble. It's the most powerful piece on the chessboard. But if that's the only piece we've got going on, your king's in danger. You know, you have to have all these other pieces in play. And I guess I found myself saying, Some chess players don't need the queen. They'll let you take their queen because they're so confident in the other pieces on the board that they will do the job of protecting the king. So I guess for me, I've always found that there are other pieces on the chessboard that aren't the institutional traditional Sunday church that actually produce the outcomes of the purposes of the church in beautiful ways. The most powerful example for me is my running groups. Like I run four or five times a week and I'm no whippet. I'm a little fatty really, but but I run in these groups of people who are the most encouraging people I've ever met. Churched or not church, they just get alongside you, help you get up the hills, believe in you, tell you you can run. You're running 20Ks. Actually, you could run 30Ks. You can do it, Bryce. You're amazing. And we do all of this out in nature where we go, wow, look at these trees, look at the sky, look at the breath, beautiful fresh air. There's this sense of worship and glory that's almost part of every single run I go on. So you add that and what's going to make you happy? What's going to make you a healthy person? Well, we're going to talk about diet. We're going to talk about exercise. We're going to talk about mental health. All of those issues seem to happen in my running groups and I go to church on Sunday and I get 3% of that and I get 80% of it in a running group. So I find myself going, without the language of the church, the purposes of the church are often fulfilled in other ways outside of the traditional church model. Please understand, not to say the traditional church model isn't wonderful. It is the queen. It's the best piece. It's the piece that certainly transformed my life and built the foundations of who I am as a Christian. But I guess my life experience with the people I've worked with has pushed me to go, there's got to be other pieces on the board. Yeah, this is just a brilliant analogy, the chessboard. Absolutely love this. So fascinating. And I think, to be honest, that people, you know, listening to this episode 
Bryce would agree. And we'd go, yeah, actually, we as believers experience a richness as all of these things outside of, you know, a weekend service type event. I guess the question then becomes, how do you as an everyday believer, how do I, how do we lead people to Jesus in these spaces? And how might discipleship look if we you know, move away from what we traditionally know or have experienced. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I've thought about this a lot. And I, I guess for me, I, one of the tools I've done, I've got a Google, my, my daughter's a secretary person. She taught me about Google Forms. And you can set up these little tick sheet things on Google where you can design your own form. So I've got a form where one is called Community Connection. So like outside of a Sunday church, I've got like nearly 100 people that I connect with through Parkrun and through my running groups and Rotary Club I'm in. I'm in a men's group, all sorts of stuff where I've got deep relationships with people, like more than the average congregation, actually. So if I've got time and capacity to engage with those people as an evangelist, which is what I would see myself as, I'm just addicted to loving people. I'm just every single person I meet, I want to love them outrageously and beautifully and carefully and you know all of that. So that's in my heart big time. I guess what I've tried to do is notice the moments when I'm with people that are actually spiritual moments. So on one of these forms, I've called it Jesus moments, and I can count and identify those moments when we worship together. I mean, an example of this is I went to a park run recently, and a, and a friend of mine uh, who's a girl in her 30s, she, I'm actually going to do her wedding quite soon because we're quite close. We're friends, right? And she said, you must come down to the river and have a look at this. It's just beautiful down here. So she and I went for a two-minute walk down to the, the Logan River and the mist was rolling over the river. It was a frosty morning and the sun was coming up and there were beautiful hues on the horizon. And honestly, we just put her, put her arm around each other and said, this is wonderful. Isn't this beautiful? Just, just notice this moment. Like she was teaching me to stop and notice the moment that was actually full of glory, full of worshipfulness, full of wonder. And I found myself saying to her, my Christian terminology for this was we're having a, a, a moment of worship in creation. And she didn't use those words, but exactly what we were, you know, aligned, totally aligned. Those moments happen when people feel loved, when they've got the courage to talk about a really personal issue that they're struggling with. I mean, we, would, we Christians would call that a moment of grace, a moment of forgiveness, a moment of confession. Normal people just say, I trust you and I want to share my stuff with you. You know, there's, I think we kind of put language on things in the church that actually is just describing what normal people do. And I think our role is to help all of that normal stuff that the spirit is doing by his prevenient grace in people's life. We need to just capture that and notice that and nurture that and help people, I guess, see the wonderful thing that love and grace and mercy and glory of creation is in their life and start to celebrate it more and lift it up. I think that's probably what I would say. That's a great answer. So I experience that a lot in my own life, you know, with people that I'm reaching out to that I have deep relationship with. I love how you said it. I probably have deeper relationship with them than people that I would bump into in a larger crowd setting at a church on a weekend. I guess are you saying that we are connecting the dots really for people? We're helping them. They are articulating what they're saying or feeling and we're connecting the dots and saying, this is Jesus, this is a God moment, so to speak, in an appropriate way. 
Absolutely. I, I think the spirit is, we, we know this, the spirit's already moving in someone's life before we rock up. If we think we're the only vessels through which the spirit moves, we, we're kidding ourselves. You know, we, we go into the most unlikely places and I see love and grace and forgiveness and, and, and community and the spirit is there. So I guess our role is to foster that, to support that. And, and I guess the, the other thing for me is I'm not sure I'm trying to produce a traditional church at the end of this. Like, is the outcome some sort of church expression? Well, you know, the institutions would want that. They, they, want, to, they want to be able to count things and see fruit for any investment that they make into ministry. And so this is a real tension, I think, because so much of what I think I'm about doesn't necessarily need to result in traditional things that we would look at as church. So, for example, if I'm the chaplain at the local park run, Am I supposed to get them all to church or am I just supposed to be salt and light in that community to the people who are open to that? And that's enough. They'll search in their own way. If they need to go to church, they'll, they'll find a church. If they need to be part of a discussion group, you're like, like people discuss all sorts of deep things and you would think that's the, that's the realm of your Bible study group. But, but I had a conversation this morning with a lady at my Rotary Club that was absolutely profoundly challenging and she's insightful. Um, you know, it was a conversation about inclusion, which is a really hot topic for, for Christians. But I found myself going, Jesus was the most inclusive person you could have met. You know, his love for people was was beautiful. And so the inclusion piece is a, is a hot topic and one we need to be talking about. But I think if we're going to wait for people to come into our churches to have those conversations, we're going to be waiting a long time. We need to have, I guess, courage and wisdom and insight into those spaces ourselves and I guess represent the church in organic ways one life at a time is the little salvo catch cry we're going to change the world one life at a time with the love of Jesus and so doing that in those spaces I think is probably um, an important part of this message I think I think every church needs to be activating its people to be sent into their communities with this sort of beautiful culture of salt and light and and wisdom and hope and just trust the spirit to bubble up with that whatever whatever needs to arise rather than saying, oh, great, you've listened to me, come along to church. That's our way of expressing this. I think we need to have a much more open heart to whatever bubbles up from these conversations and these engagements and to trust that, yeah, God will build or Christ will build his church in whatever way he sees fit. Yes, absolutely. And you think that it's possible beyond those conversations that we're having with people in society, and I am totally resonate with what you're saying, if the goal is not, <laughs> which I know it's not, let's try and then get you into the church, so to speak, is there a way for you and I to disciple people individually so that they would continue to connect with Jesus and grow in their understanding of who he is? Absolutely. I, I think loving people well means that you share your heart with them and they want to share their heart with you. And at its best, that's the discipleship journey. Um, if discipleship is a six-week course where you understand theology, certainly the poor and marginalised, they'll turn up to those, but their cognizance for those sorts of things is fairly, I mean, it's not always, um, that's that's unfair, but, but largely that doesn't land anywhere near as powerfully as come and follow me, watch me be a missional Christian and see if this lands for you. And I find lots and lots of people go, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll come along and help you do whatever you need to do. And when their behaviour, the, I guess the fruits of the Spirit start to evolve in their life because they're rubbing shoulders with someone who's who's a Christian and the fruits of the Spirit are 
in my life and in the way I go about things and the way I deal with conflict or the way I deal with frustration or if I'm tired and grumpy, how do I handle that? Or if I'm frustrated, all of that sort of stuff is the way I think Jesus taught more so than sitting down and having a lecture. I think a lot of what he did was say, come with me on the road and I will show you and you'll feel it and it'll, it'll kind of come to you by osmosis. So I'm far more a fan of that than setting up some sort of formal teaching discipleship journey where if you've done your six weeks, you're cooked because I just don't think that works. I think people need to be discipled for years, for decades, and they, they I don't know, have you finished being discipled, Tina, or have you still got a bit of work to do? You know, I suspect we're all on that journey of being discipled to be more like Christ every day. So I'm resistant to saying there's some sort of program or some sort of strategy to that. I think it's just friendship, honest, authentic friendship over a long period of time where people go, you're the real deal. I think I want to I know how you tick. And I could explain it, but I'm much better off to show it and demonstrate it and people will warm to that. I, it's, it's a bit mysterious discipleship, I think. It's far more mysterious than we like to make it. We want to put it in a measurable box so that we can say we've discipled people. Well, I'm not quite sure it's as neat as that myself. <laughs> I'm laughing so much as you're even asking me those questions and and just agreeing with everything that you're saying. I, I think that some of the challenges uh, for myself and uh, for many is that measurable piece is that we want to somehow put some very tight boxes and measurable pieces around it, which we won't go down that track <laughs> further today, hmm. but to say, yes, that is something that needs to be considered. I love the Stories of Hope podcast. Let's talk about a story from there that kind of, you know, speaks to what we've been discussing today fascinating how so many people are connecting with your show. Oh, look, my, my favourite story is, is a guy called Francis who, who came to our recovery program probably back in the year 2000. I interviewed him for the podcast and asked him about his life and, honestly, a more difficult childhood. You, you, you'd be rare to find it, just criminals, brothers and sisters were criminals. He was in jail by the time he was 18 and, you know, he just had such a difficult and troubled childhood violent father, all those sorts of things were just a, a really difficult part of his life. His story was that he just had enough and somehow outside of any real Christian influence, he said, I'm either going to go to Byron Bay and do what I've always done, play my guitar and see if I can get some money so I can buy some drugs. But if someone picks me up and is willing to take me to Brisbane, I'll go to Brisbane and get help. And he's hitchhiking on the side of the road and this truckie rocks up with a like 12-year-old girl in the truck with him and says, where are you going, mate? He says, where are you going? He's going, Brisbane. Righto. Gets in a truck. The bloke's a Christian and uh, he, he knows about the salvos and he gets Francis to the salvos. And, you know, that's how I met him. I, I meet this guy who's just broken at the end of his tether and, and this long-haired, loud of a guy who um, comes to our program so broken but somehow an intervention has taken in place in his life that's quite miraculous. And 20 years on, I interview him for the podcast, and he's my mate. Like, we've known each other for 20 years. Now, he's not part of a church per se, but he's whole. He's, he's married. He's got a job. He works in community services. He does a whole lot of stuff that you just could not argue in any way is a miraculous transformation. So I could ring up this, this guy, Francis, today, and we would talk like brothers as close and as camaraderie as any Christian salvo anywhere, anywhere in the world, right? He and I are just tight because we get each other. We've been on this journey together for 20 years and we kept in touch. 
So I just feel like we've got to have a place in our spirituality and in our church life for those types of interventions and to not say, well, he's not quite right because he's not rocking up to a church every Sunday. You know, if he did that, he'd be in the right space. His own testimony would say, I kept going to church. I went to this building. I went to that building. I went to another building. I went to the Anglicans. I went to this, I went to that. And I didn't find God in a, in a building. I, I found him in my heart and I found him amongst my comrades who have been on this journey. So if we haven't got a place for that to be a 10 out of 10 victory for Jesus because he's not in church, we're missing something spectacularly beautiful in the kingdom of God, and we need to find spaces for those sorts of stories. Now, you know, that's probably my favourite story, but there's so many stories that are similar to that, and we haven't got a way to value it anywhere near enough because I would be surprised if there's any listener anywhere who says that isn't the goal. That's exactly what we're all about in terms of our purpose as the church, to help people who are broken find hope, find wholeness, and find a sense of community. Now, that's what happens for this guy. What an incredible story. That's moving. That's like tears in the eye on my end. Mm. So the relevance of the church really today, Bryce, I guess what we're saying is the church is very relevant, but we need to, the most place where it can speak to Australian culture now is to be salt and light amongst people's lives every day of the week. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a, it's a tension that we've got to live with. And um the institutional church is critical to me. I, I, my wage is paid by the big Salvation Army empire, if you like, that that you know runs all these things and has all these governance and all this stuff and, and has a, a fairly conservative theological base. But big institutions, big churches need to have, I guess, the wisdom to release people into evangelism because only 4 or 5% of the population are actually at church. 95% aren't. So we don't want to spend too much time and energy just making sure that 5% are catered for. We've got to work out how to engage with the 95%. And so I think our big churches need to be brave in releasing people who are evangelists and apostles to go and do their thing without an expectation that this is all just going to come back so the 5% can go, you ripper, we've got value for money here. We've got to have a way of trusting that releasing people into creative and innovative spaces is part of the big structured institutional church's gift. And people like me who are more out there doing something different and, you know, not good news for the institutional church in some ways, need to be respectful and grateful for the institutional church's stability to enable these sorts of things to take place. So it's a it's a both end. It's not one's better than the other or one's needed and one's not. We've just got to get that there are teachers and pastors and shepherds, but there's also apostles and evangelists. And we need to actually work out how to free up our apostles and evangelists so they can do their thing without feeling guilty because they're not ending up with outcomes that the institutional church can see as the only outcome. Um, I mean, that's kind of narrow, but I, I think I'm, I think you get what I'm trying to say there, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I thought you just put that perfectly and uh, 100% agree with what you're saying. Today I'm going to drop the links to the Stories of Hope podcast, the story that Bryce has been talking around and others. It's brilliant. I really encourage people to have a listen to that. So Major Bryce Davies, thank you so much. This has been fantastic talking with you and hope you're having better weather in Queensland than Melbourne. Fabulous. It's been a delight to talk to you too, Tina. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Win Win Evangelism podcast today. If this was helpful for you, please share it with others so they can learn also. If you, your small group or your church would like to upskill more in personal evangelism, learn how it can be easy, natural and not forced, why don't you check out our online free sample course on missionwithgod.com forward slash free sample. I trust that our podcast and our online personal evangelism course can be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.